What if I told you that there was an investment vehicle that allowed you to gift ownership to anyone without it triggering a capital gains tax or income tax charge? A vehicle that allowed you to defer paying tax on your withdrawals until your own tax rate is potentially much lower than it is now in order to reduce or even possibly avoid paying tax altogether on your gains. How about if I told you that there was no limit to what you could pay into this thing either? Well, all of this and much more is possible with an investment bond. In this video, I'm going to highlight to you the main types of investment bonds available in the UK, their main advantages and uses from a tax planning perspective, and how you can invest into them. Because there's quite a lot to cover, I'm going to put some timestamps right here. So feel free to jump to the section you're looking for by clicking on the relevant timestamp in the description below. If you're here for the first time, by the way, I'm Chris. I'm a UK-based financial planner with a focus on helping people achieve financial independence early. My weekly videos are designed to help you do the same by giving you a better understanding of tax planning and investing. So subscribe if that's for you. Don't forget to hit the like button too if this is useful. And with that said, let's get started. Now straight off the bat, let's clear something up. An investment bond is not to be confused with the bonds you find in many investment portfolios like government bonds and corporate bonds. They're totally different things. What I'm referring to is a type of investment vehicle, like an ISA or a pension is an investment vehicle. The word bond simply just describes a promise to pay some money to somebody. There are generally two types of investment vehicles available to the UK investor. Onshore bonds and offshore bonds, which are sometimes referred to as international bonds. Now, sometimes the idea of an offshore investment conjures up images of your money being held in some dodgy shell company in the Cayman Islands, but that's not the case at all. Most major assurers offer both types of bonds, and the offshore version is usually based somewhere like Dublin or the Isle of Man, and investor protection is usually equally robust. Now, usually bond providers are well-known brands like Aviva, Prudential, Standard Life, or a Standard Life are better known these days, ABRDN, Aberdeen, Aberdeen. I don't know how you pronounce it and I don't know what they were thinking with that name change, but worst name change ever. Now, like I've said before, when I'm talking about ISAs, an ISA or an investment bond is not the investment itself. It's just the account that your investments are held in. It's often referred to as a wrapper. Not that type of wrapper, a wrapper. The investments, which are the index or managed funds that you hold, determine the return you get. The wrapper determines how those returns are taxed. Now, the primary difference between onshore and offshore bonds is taxation. Now, I'm going to try and keep this as simple as I possibly can, but it can get a little bit complex. But I'm going to try my best. Onshore bonds are non-income producing investments which is a key thing I'm going to come back to later. What this means is that they have different tax treatment from other types of UK investments that do produce income. The underlying funds in an onshore bond are subject to life fund taxation. They pay corporation tax. And this essentially means that you're treated as having already paid basic rate income tax on the gains that are added to your account. Now that tax can never be reclaimed though. So what that means is non-taxpayers are suffering tax that they wouldn't necessarily have to pay. Basic rate taxpayers are on a par and higher or additional rate taxpayers are at an advantage. So when you get your statement every year, your return is net of basic rate income tax. The tax has already been taken. 
If a non-taxpayer or a basic rate taxpayer surrenders their bond, providing the gain itself doesn't push them into the higher rate tax threshold, they have no further tax to pay. Any gains made by those lower rate taxpayers, by the way, are divided by the number of years they've held the investment for when making that calculation. Let me simplify that a bit. Let's say you've earned £45,000 in a year, you surrender your bond and it's made a £30,000 gain. If you've held the bond for 10 years, the £30,000 is divided by 10, which means a £3,000 gain is added to your income. 45,000 plus 3,000 gives 48,000, which is below the higher rate threshold. And therefore, there's no further tax to pay. That's called top slicing relief. Where it gets interesting though, is that higher rate or additional rate taxpayers can control the tax they pay in a few different ways. Firstly, the additional tax is only paid if the gains are surrendered. If you wait until you've got a lower tax rate in the future before you do, there may be no further tax to pay. What you can also do is assign segments of your bond to somebody with a more advantageous tax status than you and they can make the encashment without any further tax paid. Now other types of investments can be transferred between spouses without triggering any capital gains tax implications but that's only helpful to a point because of course it's limited by each partner's CGT exemption which is £12,300 per tax year and of course what if you're not married? That's not very helpful to you then. So the ability to assign segments within an investment bond is a much more flexible feature. You're also allowed to utilize a feature called your cumulative withdrawal allowance. Have to say that slow in order to get it out. That enables you to take back up to 5% of the initial amount you invested every year without any immediate tax. The tax calculation is deferred to when you surrender the investment, by which point, of course, there might not be any tax to pay. So let's say you invested £100,000, you can withdraw £5,000 a year without any tax to pay for 20 years, at which point you've taken back all of your original capital. The money that you've invested can be held in stocks and bonds and other types of assets which provide the potential for real growth while you take a tax efficient withdrawal every year. It's potentially very useful for high income earners with capital to invest. There are no age restrictions on access, by the way, like there are with pensions, for example. And that allowance is cumulative. So if you didn't use it in year one, you could take 10% in year two and so on. So that's onshore investment bonds. Hopefully you're still with me because now I'm gonna run through offshore investment bonds. The main difference is that whereas the underlying life fund investments pay tax in an onshore bond, they don't in an offshore bond. That means your investments achieve what's called gross roll-up. So they essentially grow tax-free, like an ISA or a pension would. There can be some withholding tax to consider on some offshore interest and dividends, but for the most part, it's tax-free. So what this means is that non-taxpayers aren't paying tax that they wouldn't be, and all other taxpayers are paying considerably less. However, when you do take gains from the investment and bring the funds back onshore, you pay the full tax at your highest rate because there's no credit given for tax already having been paid. So a basic rate taxpayer would pay 20%, a higher rate taxpayer 40%, and so on. Now generally, all of the same rules apply to offshore bonds as onshore ones. So you can still defer tax in the same way, 
you can still assign segments to a lower taxpayer and you can still take your 5% tax deferred withdrawals. If you can take advantage of the gross roll-up and use one of those methods to reduce or eliminate tax on future withdrawals, an offshore bond may work out better. It's never a one-size-fits-all approach though. There's lots of considerations to make and that's where good advice is key. One fantastic feature of bonds, both onshore and offshore, is that you can easily switch your underlying investments without triggering any capital gains tax charges like you would in a general investment account. Let's say you wanted to move into more cautious funds as you got closer to a particular investment goal, you can just use the switching facility, no tax incurred. If you tried to do that in an unwrapped general investment account, the gains you'd made would be subject to CGT. So, in which circumstances can bonds be really, really useful? Well, there are a number of them, but I'm going to highlight just a few here. The first one is if you're a very high earner and you suffer from the reduced annual allowance for pension contributions, or if your pension pot is going to exceed the lifetime allowance. People who earn above £240,000 a year see their annual allowance reduced by £1 for every £2 they earn over that limit, until it bottoms out at £4,000 when they earn over 312 k Other people whose pension pots will exceed £1,063,100 suffer higher tax charges on the excess. So being able to pay a lump sum into a bond every year where your contributions aren't limited and your future value isn't capped can work out very well. Being able to control your tax point assign bond segments to somebody with a lower tax status and easily change investment strategy without any capital gains concerns provides plenty of tax saving flexibility and lots of potential for capital growth as well. Another interesting use of offshore bonds in particular is in university fees planning. Bonds lend themselves well to being held in trust because as I said earlier they are non-income producing vehicles so they don't suffer the nasty trust tax rates that other types of investments would. I've had many clients who've set up and paid money into discretionary gift trusts to help their own inheritance tax situation, then invested the money into an onshore bond. The discretionary trust gives the settlers control over the money and who ultimately benefits from it. But when the kids or grandkids reach 18 and start university, the settlers can make an absolute assignment of segments to a bare trust with the child as beneficiary, which means any gain is assessed against the child's own personal income allowance. Usually, of course, the child earns no money or very little, so the money can come out completely tax-free, having grown tax-free in the offshore bond. Very tax-efficient. And that can be done every year or every term, whenever the fees are payable. As I've just alluded to, a major use of bonds is in inheritance tax planning. They're great for use in trusts because of their non-income producing status, as I've already said. Now, trust work requires specialist financial planning knowledge, and I'm not going to dive in too deep here. But it is possible to assign existing bonds into trust without triggering any capital gains, or to set up new bond investments in trust. There are many different types of trusts available. Some, like discounted gift trusts, can give your estate an immediate inheritance tax saving, while giving you a right to income for the rest of your life. Others, like loan trusts, ensure that any future growth on your investments is held outside of your estate, while you still retain the right to access your capital and take regular withdrawals. 
thereby allowing you to effectively freeze and gradually reduce your inheritance tax liability. There are many considerations and tax tripwires though, so advice is always needed. So how can you invest into bonds? You've probably noticed that they're not available on direct platforms, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that they're not regular investment vehicles, they're lump sum vehicles, which doesn't really tie in with the way customer platforms operate. The second reason is because, as you can probably gather, people can fall into some tax traps with bonds and make a right mess of things if they're not careful. The companies that I mentioned earlier, like Aviva and our good old friends Abradun, will talk about these wrappers on their website, but they'll insist that you speak to a financial advisor before setting one up. Just a quick little comment on that point, by the way. Thank you to everyone who's inquired with me about becoming a personal client. I'm delighted that you think I'm providing enough value in my videos to ask that question, and I'd love to be able to help everybody. But unfortunately, like I've said to many of you, I'm pretty much at capacity and there's a waiting list to become a client of mine at the moment. However, I am working on ways to create a consultation service that everyone can use. Not necessarily speaking to me directly, but speaking to people chosen by me who can provide the guidance you need. In the meantime though, if you do want to get advice, I can guide you to people who I trust to do a good job. So feel free to get in touch. If you're just starting out investing, it might be very useful to know you can get a free share worth all the way up to £200 with free trade just by following my link in the description and a free share in Nike, Dropbox or GoPro with stake. The link's also in the description to that. A final point on bonds is that gains from offshore bonds are treated as savings income, whereas gains from onshore bonds are treated as life policy gains. That means offshore bonds are able to use different personal taxation allowances, which was all explained in my recent video, linked above and below in the description. Make sure you check that out at the end of this video. So can you see a use for bonds in your financial planning? Leave a comment in the comment section below. It would be really good to know. 